Some of you know this, but this part of John, uh, this is his, basically his farewell. Jesus' farewell speech, if you will. It's called the farewell discourse. This is his last words before we basically walk, uh, walk all the way to the cross with Jesus. That's, that's kind of this um, 15 and then 16 and a little bit of 17 and then all the, the last events of Jesus. Uh, so this is his kind of his farewell speech. And uh, we know that Jesus gives us a lot of different pictures. Um, and he, in the Gospel of John, he uses I am's, like I am this, I am the gate, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am um, I'm the resurrection. And as we looked at last week, he says, John 15, uh, 1 and 2 here, um, I, am a, I am the true vine. So he, he wants to you know, give us this analogy, this, okay, this metaphor for what, what I am. So I am, a true, I am the true vine, and uh, I want you to think of my father as the gardener. So if I'm, if, I, if I'm the vine, and I'm connected to the love of the father, my father also is this gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me, uh, Jesus is saying, that bears no fruit. And that's tough. That was tough last week. We talked about that. Those were, those were not uh, PC. I mean, that, that, that's not the inclusive kind of uh, verbiage that we want to hear that makes us uh, relax. That's very exclusive and, you know, it's uh, cut and dry. And then he says, bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so I said last week, I want to talk about this, this dynamic what does it mean, if Jesus is our gardener, what does it mean for us um, to go through the process of pruning, right? What, what do you think God's pruning from you uh, right now? The purpose of pruning is so that you'll not just have five apples, it's so that you can have 20 apples. That's the purpose of pruning. It's all for your good, it's all for your benefit, and when a, when a vine, you know, when we get, um, as a branch, ingrown and, and we're not reaching towards the light, that's what happens. So the gardener's got to come and he's got to prune things to make it right. And as I was thinking about this, I, I felt like I kept going to this other passage in the New Testament that I thought actually spells out a little bit what it means to be pruned. I mean, what, what that process is like. And so we're actually going to look at Hebrews 12, but I want you to think of it in the context of um, when you're attached to the vine and you're bearing fruit, but God needs to continue to prune things out of your life. Um, what kind of mindset should we have? So if you, I would love for you to turn to Hebrews 12. And I'm going to change metaphors here. Um, but the pruning here, I want us to think about it uh, as, as the writer of Hebrews talks about it as a race. I don't know if you've ever been in a race before, but he says this. Therefore, um, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these witnesses were Christians that were killed, the people or, or, or people that had died or had been killed. What does the Bible say happens to us at our death? It, the Bible says that our bodies go into the ground and then our souls go up to heaven. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that we've got you know, these souls of the, of, of Christian souls up there, and they're looking at us. So my grandmother, right, both of my grandmothers and grandfathers 
are looking down upon me. That's who I think of. And, and he says, and imagine if you're in the first century here and you're being oppressed by Rome. I know you're thinking about a Roman spear or a sword or the emperor, but I don't want you to think about that. Because even more than the Rome and the Roman guard, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So, let's throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run, right? So there's a race here that we're in. With perseverance, the race marked out for us. You know, the, the Greek word for race there is agon, which we get the word agony from, right? So let us run with perseverance the agony, the agonizing struggle marked out for us. What do you do with that? I mean, that's what the writer of Hebrews says is going to be our future, is that if you, if you want to think about it as a race, it's going to be agony. And um, a lot of us, when you found Jesus or when Jesus found you, I mean, you thought, my goodness, I'm feeling free. And, and this is amazing. And I have, I, I've, I felt like all these things in my past, all these skeletons, I thought they would just define me. And Christianity says that Jesus' forgiveness defines me. And I'm free and I'm happy in a way that I've never felt. I feel light. I mean, this weight of guilt that's been on, on, on my shoulders. Um, and, and now the Hebrews is saying, look, there's going to be a race that's marked with perseverance, a race marked out for you, and it's going to be a struggle. In fact, he goes on, verse 4, he says, look, in your struggle against sin, so you will struggle against sin. That's implied. With every Christian, you are going to have this fight. In your struggle against sin, Christian, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this, this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? In other words, he's saying, look, you guys are being, um, this is a tough time, but some of you, you haven't even shed blood yet in this, in this, um, in this struggle. I mean, uh, you wouldn't even get in the Colosseum and if a Roman sword was there, um, you wouldn't let them cut you for Jesus. I mean, has anyone in this room ever feared for your life because of your faith? Have, has anyone in this room ever been beaten because you've declared Christ as your king? Has anyone ever experienced that? And, and so the language that he's using here, it's, it's, you know, hey, this is why we moved to suburbia, right? <laughs> to not have, to, it's more comfortable here. I mean, it's, it's easier here. That is the point. And straight up, um, he's saying, look, um, look, in your struggle against sin, th- th- there's going to be some bloodshed. Some commentators think it's life and death. Other commentators think uh, the writer of Hebrews re- as was actually referring to the pentathlon, right? In ancient Greece, the pentathlon was uh, the f- uh, five events. One was the standing long jump. Then you had the discus throw. You had the javelin throw. You had a 200 meter a race, and then the last race was you wrestled. And in the wrestling, you would have uh, these leather hand guards that were pretty hard leather. And what would happen was, is a lot of times in the wrestling, in that last you know event, you're going toe to toe, you would either be bloodied or bloody somebody else in that last wrestling match. 
You haven't even fought enough or, or wrestled hard enough that blood was shed. That's how I know you're, you're fighting, right? That's how I know you're really trying. If I would see some blood. Um, and, and so, I, I, basically, and I just want to be very straightforward in this, is that God's plan includes, and this is hard for some of us, constructive pain and struggle. And so if you're... If your presupposition is, I run from pain, right? I run from struggle. No, no, no. That is in um, God's plan for you, right? That is in the, the gardener's plan to prune things. In pruning, it's going, you're going to feel pain and you're going to feel struggle. How, how do you feel about that? Does that make you angry that... Um, you thought maybe, uh, was this a bait and switch here? I mean, is this Christianity thing a bait and switch? I thought, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. Peace like a river. You ever hear that song growing up? No? Okay, good. Supposed to be happy and good, right? I'm in, right out, right up, right down, right? Happy all the time. I'm in, right up, right out, happy with Jesus in my heart. From him I'll never depart. I'm in right. My grandmother used to sing that to me all the time. Like I just sing them all. Like it's good. And yes, there is joy, but this part, um, he is saying no. But part of the plan is going to be constructive pain and struggle. What if you didn't cope with this? What if you embraced it? What if you looked and self-evaluated and self? Um, you looked at your life and thought, okay, what is the pain that's here that God's allowing in my life? What might he be pruning? Because here's what I know. Here's what I do. I just run for Whenever I feel uncomfortable, no way. There's struggle. No, 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 no. Things should be, hey, laissez-faire, man, lazy river, let's go. Just let it be. And No. He uses this metaphor for a reason. We are running, right? We are, we are running a race. And in order to do that well, right, there's going to be struggle and and, and there's going to be pain. He goes on to say, my son, don't, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. What did you do the first time your kid lied? I mean, what did you do the first time your, your three or five-year-old or you had a three or five-year-old brother? What did you see your parents do? I mean, as a parent, when your kid lies, right? When your kid tells a straight-up lie, as, as, a, as a mom or a dad or even a brother and a sister who cares about this person, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you have to nip that sucker in the bud. I mean, you have to, whoa, no, no. And I, and I told you we were going to Froyo, and now we're not, right? Because you lied, man. And when you lie, you don't get Froyo. And you need to feel pain, buddy. I mean, real pain. Like, no sprinkles, no gummy bears, boom. You go to your room, pal. You go to your room, you're going to bed early. And I'm not reading you a story. And I want you to feel that stuff, right? What, what needs to happen 
Pain needs to be associated with that. Right? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. If you took the Hebrew word for discipline, it's the removal of options. Discipline is literally the removal of options. So as a kid or as a parent, you say, okay, you do not have any options anymore. You earned a lot of options when you were responsible. But now that you're not responsible, you don't have options now. You're going to do it this way, my way. And a good father, he disciplines us. And you know the areas of your life that you don't maybe have under control. And you don't need options. The worst thing you can have is options. You know, um, hey, it's my mouth, man. I can't even let one curse word go or it just goes. I can't even be just a little sarcastic with my wife because then I just begin, then it just comes out of me. I can't even, you know, criticize him a little bit because I just become the critiquer. I've got to, I've got to stop this. And, And God is saying to you and to me, he's like, look, how do you see the Lord's discipline in your life? On the one hand, he says, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Because some people laugh. Have you ever seen a kid laugh at their parent when they try to discipline them? Oh, you're going to do what? I'm going where? To my, oh, to my room. Okay. Right? Oh, that's cute. That's cute, Mom. That's cute, Dad. Oh, you're going you're gonna to spank me? Yeah, that's not going to hurt very much with that little padded little you know, thing you have, little hitter there. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Hitter. <laughs> Spanker. That's not going to hurt at all. Right? Just like, whatever. Like, yeah, they're a pushover. Yeah, they're going to discipline me. And so what we can do is we can negate the discipliner, right? We can negate the father. Like, no, dad, no, no, you're not going to do, okay, you need to do this little thing for yourself. It's not going to have any effect on me. That's what the Stoics did in, in, in the Greek culture. They looked at God, said, what? What are you doing? no. No, you're nothing. You take uh, the one who disciplines and you in some way invalidate him. You in some way uh, make fun of him or make or condescend him or her. And so we can do that with the Lord's discipline. Oh, that's cute. So you're going to work on my mouth? Yeah, okay. Or we can lose heart. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So when you know you've done something wrong, And God says to you, you've done something wrong and this isn't good and we've got to get it out of you. Some some of, uh, of us, it crushes us. We have no worth. Others of us, it doesn't affect us at all. Some of us, when we, we, can't even, we can't even receive any discipline because anytime, if we just admit we do something wrong, we, it just, I mean, we, we have this image of ourselves, or we built this construct of ourselves that we have to be perfect and none of us are. And so when we admit something or we know God's disciplining us, you don't want to take it because you can't admit it because if you really did, it would destroy you. But the Lord what? The Lord disciplines the ones that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. I want my kid to tell the truth. So when they tell a lie, I've got to stop that because a life as a liar, I mean, that's a rocky road, man. That is a bumpy ride. My kid will have so much trouble having friends. He'll have so much trouble maintaining a job, right? 
How could he stay married? If he doesn't ever tell the truth, I have to stop it. I have to discipline my son. Not because I want to control my son, but because I'm his father and I want him to flourish. I want him to prosper. And that's what God is saying, that he is disciplining uh, us. That those that he loves, you as his son or his daughter, don't reject the discipline. And when you know God's trying to, hey, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on your mouth, right? We're going to work on these pills. We're going to work on this drink. We're going to work on that sex stuff, right? We're going to work on that money greed thing. You never give any money away. You're just nervous about the future. What's up? We've, we've got we've, we've to give you freedom. And so we've got to discipline you to give your money away so you're not ruled by money. I mean, these things, because a good father does that. Seven. So, Westtown, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? I could not stand playing the piano growing up, right? Do your scales, Frankie. Do your scales. Because if we didn't play the piano, then I couldn't play sports. And so that was the rule. Every five, six days a week, you had to 30 minutes at the piano. And, you know, it was, it was um, scales and it was cadences and it was arpeggios and it was a box song or sonatina. And I didn't even like them or whatever, you know, like, bum, 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 no, you know, whatever, you know, just not. But I, but I, but I, I learned the basics and my hands began to memorize these things and I still didn't really like it like it. And so there I am at um, Florida State. My buddy Dan says, hey, Campus Crusade for Christ, I play, the, uh, I play the guitar, and we need a keyboard player. Heard you played a little bit of piano. And I'm like, well, I've never really played any kind of this kind of stuff. And so he goes, well, just try it. So I was like, okay, you bring whatever. And so it was like an A minor chord. And I'm like, oh, like an A minor chord chord hey, triad okay yeah, yeah and then then you change to an e minor okay and then you go to uh, you know a d okay back to e minor a minor and then we started playing some songs in the practice uh, room at the florida state school of music and i was like oh my goodness so all these oh wait all these scales and cadences i've been playing that's what makes up all these different songs contemporary songs and then i we started playing some um uh, some some popular or contemporary songs that weren't Christian, like um, uh, A minor, like "Hello Darkness, My Old Friend." It's A minor, right there, right? I'd like to come to you again, back E minor. I'm like, oh my goodness, my hands know this stuff. And so for the next year, I'm playing for Crusade, and I have I'd never played in quote a little band before. It was so much fun. And then you know what they said? Why don't you come? to Spring Break 94 on Daytona Beach. And there used to be this old show on MTV called The Grind, right? And this show called The Grind was basically a bunch of young college students 
scantily clad, filmed by MTV, playing, you know, hip-hop music. And there I was with Campus Crusade for Christ, with my orange bracelet to distinguish us from the rest of the college students. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. And I started going up to, you know, lots of Midwesterners, University of Minnesota, uh, lots of University of Wisconsin people. I'm supposed to get a shout out from some Midwestern people, but I guess I'm not. I thought I would, but okay. Um, and, And... I began to do the spiritual survey. Hey, would you mind taking a spiritual survey? And um, to my surprise, a lot of them said yes. And that week on Daytona Beach, spring break 1994, I, I think I, I six or seven different times um, walked people through the gospel presentation and helped them pray to receive Christ. Right? Like, and then you start following the rabbit hole. Like, well, how did I get here? Because this is a game changer for me. Like, what? These college students with the grind playing? MTV was filming live. I mean, literally 200 yards from us. And I remember thinking, I just led someone. God used me to lead someone to Christ 200 yards from that place. And that thing is selling a different gospel. They're selling hedonism. And I'm selling Jesus. And I get to be a part of this. And it so like solidified my faith. It was so huge for me. And I followed it back. I'm like, the reason I'm with Crusade, really, I mean, I'm Presbyterian, so I'm not a Crusade guy, um, is because of what? Uh, because of the keyboard. And why would I even be able to play the keyboard? Because that was the, the discipline. And then I'm like, I had to learn the scales, and I hated the scales. But you endure it. And you realize that when your mom and your dad force you to do something, they're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you. And that's what, um, that, that's what the gospel here, that's what Hebrews is trying to say. That many of us are what? We're trying to not endure hardship. You've, you, you've, you've just gotten off. You don't want to, you don't want to continue on. You know when you have a good lift or a good workout and you're beginning to get the sweat on and you reach your point that you normally go to? What the Bible is saying here is this. Spiritually, when you get to the point where you feel comfortable, you're at church, right? You're praying a little bit maybe. You're talking to your wife a little bit and and you feel comfortable. You have to move past that, right? You have to move past that into the deeper things that are causing you some hardship or the things that you haven't passed through. And to the extent that you do that, right, you will grow in you spiritual grit. And you're going to need that because when you want to give up and you've decided, you know what, the church, like the church is a safe place for me. It's not an irrelevant place. We go to church, even in hardship. And then, sure enough, God will take a relationship at church that will be your safe haven. And maybe that couple and the love that that couple have keeps your marriage together during the six months where you could have filed at any moment. I mean, any conversation could have led you to, you know, to sign the papers and be like, I'm done. But you know what? We kept going to church and we kept being around these people who love Jesus and we are so weak, right? We, are, we were so weak. And that discipline in our life kept us just going to church. We didn't even really engage. We were just there. But God gave us these friends, and they just were there, and they were covering for us for a time. Right? Or, you know what? 
I just told my kid, you got to go to youth group. You, I just want you around kids who aren't perfect, but just they are following the Lord. And I know he hated it. He hated it. He hated it. And then there was a ski trip. And I don't know, something happened on that ski trip. But he, that rock hard heart that my 15 year old boy had, all of a sudden, boy, that thing, it just broke. And my kid came back different. Had we stopped two years ago or a year ago, that would have never, ever been there. I, I am so sick of trying to read the Bible that I'm just going to be done with it. But then there's that verse, right? Right before you're going to do something stupid to blow up your family or, or that comes to your mind because of discipline, because of what? Enduring hardship. Because God's plan for us, and maybe you've heard this before, is not to maximize your happiness, but it is to maximize your holiness. He came to make you holy. What does that word mean? To set you apart. And he's telling a bunch of Christians that are going through a hard time. Hey, I mean, shoot, in our day and age now, to say you're a Christian, to say you're a Bible-believing Christian... You're so antiquated to say that. You're so passe. You, I mean, to believe that the Bible is living and active, you're laughed at. I mean, to say we are a conservative, Bible-believing church might as well cuss at the world. world. Said your mama joke to them. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. And... If you don't have grit, if I don't have... In, uh, some endurance, if you don't have perseverance spiritually, how are we ever, ever going to stand up against this? Verse 16. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Speaking about our parents. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's so easy to take the easy way out, right? But it always seems to come bite you in the butt. So we were in New York City this week, and I had six people I was trying to keep alive. We were nervous a lot. We were just kind of huddled around each other, not sure which subway to jump on, not sure, um, uh, yeah, because we actually stayed across the river in Jersey City, which you have to take a path train, then you have to actually go onto the subway, which is different. And so I, I was really a terrible planner in doing that, should never have done that, but that added a lot of stress. And uh, so the last two nights, we were kind of exasperated with the subway, whole, that whole system, and who People were being nervous, very nervous and not happy. And so uh, we just wanted to get into a cab. And you know, just wanna, you just want to cut a corner. And I, and I could feel like, oh, just, let's get back to the hotel. Just get back to the hotel. Let's just get a cab and get back to the hotel. And so uh, we were on Fifth Avenue, right? And it's, it's busy. And so I'm, I'm like getting, I'm hailing a, a cab. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm hailing a cab. This cab comes. They're a little bit bigger now. They have like some minivan size S. But you're really only supposed to have like four people in the back and one in the front. And we had five. I'm like, 
all right, you know, I just, I'm going to cut this, you know, no big deal. Um, we're just going to do it. I'm not going to tell the cab, the cab driver. And you know, when you're like, I just want to, just want to get in there and do it. I'm not going to think about things. I don't want to endure, you know, the hardship of whatever, going in two cabs and paying two, two cab fares. And we were about ready to get in there and, you know, someone, I will not say who it was. Hey, is this okay, dad, that we're doing this? Uh, yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, and right, right when I hear that, you know, I get the, I, I, I hear this right behind my ear. I'm like, hey, uh, hey guy, I can uh, get you, I can wave, I, I can get to you two, you're going to need two, uh, two, two yellow caps. I, I'll get you two caps. And I'm like, what? It's a cop. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not sure if we want to take two, sir. He goes, yeah, but you can't do that. That's not safe for your kids. And you don't want to be unsafe for your kids, right? (laughs) Yes, you are right. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm thinking, here we go. Here we go. Uh, And then I kind of was sheepishly walking back. He kind of saw my reaction. He's like, hey, I'm just here to help you, sir. I'm just here to serve the people. <laughs> all right. All right, man. NYPD. All right. I, you know, I don't know. Made me feel weird. Um, didn't have to add that last sentence, but, you know, okay. I figured, yeah. Um, but when you, when you try to short circuit it, when you try, when you try to take those shortcuts, um, we miss out on why God is trying to give us discipline. We miss out on his plan for us. And so when you know that his, the hard truth is pain and struggle are part of it, when you try to run from it, you don't get the benefits of it. Because the point is holiness. Last question is this. How do you get gas for that engine? I mean, how do you get motivation? Because you got to get motivation. And, and don't tell me that, hey, you can get all excited about a new workout plan or a new diet that you're going to do. But where is motivation going to constantly come from, right? So we skipped over verse 2 and 3. We went from Hebrews 12, 1 all the way. We jumped to Hebrews 12, 4 and 5. But here's, here's where I think we can get some help. He says this, that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart and give up on your marriage and go back to that vice and use that language or be the person you know that you've always been but you know God wants to call you to greatness and you've, you've been stuck in mediocrity for so long so that you don't lose heart. What, what is he saying? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What's the joy? You are. I am. We're the point. What's the only thing Jesus didn't have? Us. He came down to the earth to get us. And it says, for the joy set before him, and that is you. When you know that you're the joy of Jesus, when you know that he endured all of that because his joy was to be in relationship with you, 
He did all of that for you. I'm telling you what, that is gas for my tank. And so what do we have to do, Westtown? You stare at him. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when you don't, here's what happens. There's a guy named Jacob in the Bible. And he really wanted this wife, Rachel. And through a series of terrible, weird events, he, he married her, uh, Leah, who wasn't Rachel. <laughs> and he had to work seven more years to marry her. Because she was the most beautiful thing ever. He fixed his eyes on Rachel. And what happened to Rachel? What does the Old Testament tell us? Rachel dies. What did, what did Jacob do then? After Jacob, who worshipped the beauty of Rachel, he then takes that, uh, that, that glare, that stare that he has, and he puts it right on his son, Joseph. And he had all these other sons, and he had a favorite. And he made this coat for Joseph. And Jacob's fixation with his wife and then with his son caused all kinds of chaos. And all the brothers resented Joseph, because he was legitimately the favorite. His father loved him more than any of the other sons, and it was terrible. And so when he fixed his eyes on a person, corruption came into the family. What happened? Joseph was thrown into a a, a cave. Then what happened? Joseph was taken by a jailer, Potiphar, and his wife, Potiphar's wife, sexually assaulted Joseph. He was falsely accused for something that he didn't do. And then he was thrown into jail, like the the, the real jail. And you see what happens when you fix your eyes on nothing that, that is not Jesus. But here's the thing, is that Joseph began to endure those things. And he learned what it was like to deal with pain. And then God gave him this beautiful gift of interpreting dreams. And he found favor with Pharaoh. And next thing you know, he's the vice president of Egypt during a famine. And he's doling out food for what? The entire world. Because Egypt was the place that actually kept the world alive during this famine. And then what does God say in Genesis, the end of Genesis? He says this. What man meant for evil, right? I meant it for good. The pain and the struggle that you have and that you're going through, part of it is from a broken world. Part of it's from the brokenness inside of you. But God wants to use that to discipline you so that you will learn endurance, so that you don't give up, so that you don't have quitting points. Where are you this morning? Some of us need to learn endurance and recognize its place in our, in our life. And perseverance, it's going to take us um, pushing through some spiritual plateaus that we have. The pain of of just the, 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 the regularness of church. Because church can get boring. I know that. Every week, Frank. Come on, man. No, no, no. There's a plan. There's a plan for the way God wants you to set up your life. I don't want to read the Bible with my family. I don't want to pray with my wife, dude. I don't want to talk about it with my son. No, there's a plan for this. He wants to build your family up so when they take on their storms, they're going to remember these times. Can you not see that, Frank? We want to use, uh, you know, I, I want to use all that I've designed you to be able to do and the strength that I have. I want to work it out in you. But if you're going to be obstinate and stubborn and just want to do what you want to do, then this perseverance and this endurance won't happen. And some of us, you know that. You're so quick to quit. The next storm or the little bit of pain or boredom comes, you're out. 
Jesus is saying, can you push through that? Can you learn endurance? Can you push through that pain? I think we can. It would be easy for us to turn into like, you know, a pretty sellout suburban church, right? Um, but God's doing too much stuff here. I know it. he's changing lives and um, we're not a new church anymore. We're still a young church, but he wants to mature us. He does. He wants us to learn maturity and endurance. And it's going to take us pushing through um, some of the, the, the plateaus that we have right now, some of these impasses that we have right now. And the only way we're going to do it is if we fixate on Jesus and, and draw power from his love for us. So let's pray and ask that he does that. God, I believe that there are some people, even in this room now, that, that just want to quit on their marriage. They just want to stop and they don't want to endure it. But God, you say that your marriages are a picture of your love for the church and it's unconditional. So keep them together, please. God, we know that there are people that just want to turn off close friends that have been through a lot with them because they've been hurt. And you want us to endure. God, there's those of us that are on the brink of falling into temptation with some sort of vice. Teach us, God, to endure. May we look at you and you did not, not suffer. You went through all that suffering for us. You came down here for us. God, to think that if this crazy guy over in North Korea with access to crazy bombs and and things we're reading on the news, if something tragic like that did happen, God, teach us that we have hope. We're not tied to that. You are over all things. You are over North Korea. And your plan is the plan. But God, when we want to take over and we want to start becoming the pilot, when we want to take the, uh, become the driver of our own life, it, it just doesn't work. And so God, some of us that, you know, we've just been hanging on and we just got to let go here and push through these quitting points that we've always quit on. And there's this, this cycle in our lives. So, God, please work. Thank you for grace and that you're committed to us no matter what we do. Thank you for that freedom and that, and that peace that we can have in this fight. God, be with us now. Work, Holy Spirit, move in this place, please. In your name, amen.